Luke chapter number two. Go down to verse number eight this morning. The Bible said, they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all that they heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you again for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in the house of God. Thank you, Lord, for the songs that we've sung this morning. Lord, they're more than just melodies and words put together, but Lord, they're our testimony, God. They're the, the songs that we rejoice over, God, because they're not just songs, but Lord, they are what we've experienced, God. We know what it's like to be saved by the grace of God. We know what it's like to hold your, the word of God and, Lord, you to show it true to us, Lord. And we thank you for that this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you're willing to come to this place called earth to die for folks like us. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you'd hide behind the cross of Calvary. God, you out of myself this morning. Fill me with the spirit of God. Use me for your glory. Lord, help me just to be a mouthpiece and a vessel in the hands of the master this morning. Lord, there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, they're in a wonderful place. God, you've, you've allowed them to come to the one place, God, where they can know for sure and hear and be told and be instructed from the word of God exactly how they can be saved and how they can spend eternity in heaven, Lord, with you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning. Help us now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can have a seat this morning. Thank you so much for standing as we read the scriptures this morning. And uh, these past Sunday mornings, uh, we've been... I started a series called What a Story, and we've been looking at the Christmas story from different angles and different avenues and uh, from different viewpoints this morning. And, and when we come to Luke chapter number two, and no doubt Luke chapter number two is very familiar when it comes to Christmas time, for it is where we would say it is the Christmas story. We heard it over and over and over again in our lives. And last week we looked at uh, the narrator, Luke, and how all this book came to be and what a wonderful truth we found there. And we looked at the birth of John as well and how he, his birth foreshadowed and, and, and he was a forerunner of Christ. But today, to this morning and tonight, we're going to look at some supporting cast members. And now, when you talk about supporting cast members, these are, these are characters who have no names. 
Really, they just have roles to fill. They are, they are not necessarily big in the story, but they are a part of the story. They help the plot move along, and they, they help bring some facts, and they help bring some insight into the story, but they're not necessarily the main characters. They are there for a support purpose. They are there to simply uh, be there for a moment, produce some things, say some things, and help us understand the story. This morning, we're going to look at uh, the shepherds tonight. We'll look at the wise men But notice here this morning, these men, if you've ever thought about this, when it comes to Christmas plays, when's the last time you knew the name of a shepherd in the play? Now, we may know who's playing the shepherd, and we may know whose child they are, but if you look at the the, the layout, if you look at the pamphlet they hand out to you, the program that they give to you, it normally just says shepherds or shepherd one and shepherd two and shepherd three. Matter of fact, if there was a credit reel of our Bible, when we got done reading it and the credits began to pray or play down, we'd probably see a shepherd outside of Bethlehem number one Shepherd outside of Bethlehem number two and shepherd out of, outside of Bethlehem number three and as many as shepherds that were there that night. We don't know the exact number, but we know this. They were shepherds. And here's the thing. In the past five years of my life, I've begun to g- glean and understand some things about shepherds that I really wasn't necessarily concerned about or I, I might not have seen in a, the perspective perspective that I do now, being the under shepherd in the sense being the the shepherd of the flock that God has placed here. I've come to like shepherds. I've come to learn from them and and just to see some wonderful truths about here's Here's some things I've picked up along the way. Shepherds have a specific crowd. Shepherds have a specific, well, who is the shepherd's crowd? Preacher, well, it's the sheep. Well, what do you mean by that? Because if a shepherd has no sheep, he's not a shepherd. He's just a man holding a stick. But with the, the sheep are his crowd. They are his purpose. They are his desire in the sense to many shepherds. And here's the thing. We live in a generation where many shepherds are not so much concerned about the sheep. They're just concerned about impressing and hanging out with other shepherds. Can I say when God put a pastor and God put a shepherd with the flock, he, he's put a man that was to be concerned and to be involved with the flock. I was talking to a man here recently and he asked me, he said, what is the difference between a preacher and a pastor? And I said, well, obviously they're spelled different. He said, that's not the answer that I was looking for. But I, I said, really? I said, well, you can preach and not necessarily be a pastor, and, and I said, you know, preaching is opening up God's word, expounding upon. I said, but the, the pastor, he, 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 he does more than just preach, or he ought to do more than just preach. Really, he's involved in people's lives, and he's involved in the running of the church, and he's, 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 he's just there. He's like a shepherd. He's, he's there with his sheep doing shepherdly things. But we see that a shepherd has a specific crowd. They are the sheep. A shepherd has specific instructions. A specific purpose, a specific plan. Uh, and he also has a, uh, well, preacher, what is, what is the, the shepherd's purpose? Well, really, it is to prepare the sheep for sacrifice. <laughs> preacher, I, you, ain't, you ain't preparing me for that, preacher. I ain't sacrificing nothing. Well, hold on a second. You got to think about it this way. Well, there was two forms that the, the, the shepherd would prepare the sheep for sacrifice. First of all, he'd prepare the shepherd, the sheep to learn to give of themselves. Now, we know that sheep grow wool. 
And that wool is to be sheared every so often. And here's the thing, that sheep had to learn to be willing to give of themselves even when it meant no benefit to them. Because I don't know about you, I don't think I've ever seen a sheep wearing a wool sweater or wool socks, but rather they give of themselves to be a blessing unto others. I think a pastor has a responsibility to teach the flock of God that it is okay to give of yourself, to give sacrificially, to give to be a blessing, to look more on the cares of others than we do ourselves. First to get the sheep to give of themselves, but then the go, the next step is to get the sheep to give themselves. Not just of themselves, but to give themselves totally and completely. I remember reading somewhere about these specific shepherds outside of Bethlehem. More than likely, they had the responsibility of raising sheep that were to be used in the temple sacrifices. And they had to train these sheep and prepare these sheep to give themselves as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Can I say any pastor that is worth his salt has a desire. He's not here for the paycheck. He's not here for, for, for the benefits and the blessings. But rather God has placed them behind the pulpit to help you and I to understand that the single greatest thing that you and I can do is to give ourselves wholly and totally and completely unto God as a sacrifice unto him. So the shepherd has a specific crowd. He has, a, excuse me, that's hard to say, a specific purpose, but he also has a specific instrument, the staff, that, 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 that piece of wood that he carries around, that staff for the shepherd. Well, it was an instrument of rest at some times. He'd be out in the field watching the sheep, and he'd just prop up against that thing and take a little load off for a little while and take a little rest. He, it was an instrument of rest. It was also an instrument of reassurance. He could take that staff and he could go find that shepherd that, or that sheep that was kind of going the wrong direction and just kind of tap them back. Hey, come back this way. I, I'm not trying to ruin your life. I'm not trying to mess you up. I'm not trying to rob you of all your fun. I'm just trying to get you back where you're supposed to be. So come back over here, please. Not only was it a rest and reassurance, but it was also an instrument of rescue. Those animals, those wolves could come in and that shepherd could take that staff if he, was no, if he had time to get the sling and the stone, he could grab the staff and ward off the enemy. Can I say this morning, I have a specific instrument and so do you. It's not a physical staff, it's a spiritual one this morning. I have the word of God and let me tell you, this thing has become a source of rest in my life. I can rest upon the promises of God knowing that none of them will fail. It's become a source of reinsurance in my life. It reminds me of why God, has, why God has placed me here, what is God doing in my life, and if he can do that for me, he can do that for you. And it's also a source of rescue. Boy, this book has pulled me out of some hard places. It's pulled me out of some dark times. It's pulled me out of some difficult situations. I see in a shepherd has a crowd, he has an instrument, he has, he has a purpose. But this morning, as we look at these specific shepherds here, in Luke chapter number two, and they play the supporting role, we're going to notice some characteristics about them that we'll have to ask ourselves, are those characteristics found in my life as well? Notice number one this morning, this, these shepherds in Luke chapter number two, they were committed. They were committed. Look at verse number eight. The Bible said, and they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, with all of our Christmas plays and Christmas programs, 
I think we tend to glamorize the position of shepherd. I think we, we kind of lose the reality of what it would have been like to have been a shepherd during the days of the birth of Christ. They come, we, we bring them in the Christmas play and they're as cute as can be. They're carrying their little stuffed sheep and they got a smile on their face and everybody, oh, look at them. Aren't they just so precious? But the reality is when it came to being a shepherd in Bible days, it wasn't as glamorous as we make it out to be. Matter of fact, shepherding wasn't an esteemed, wasn't an esteemed job. It wasn't a, a job that, that people would say, you know what? Way to go. Way to pick a wonderful career path. You're going to be a shepherd. That is wonderful. It would be the equivalent as if your child came to you and said, Mom and Dad, I, I've made a choice. I've made a decision. I am going to pursue the prestigious position of fry cook at McDonald's. Now, it's a job, and no doubt it can pay the bills, and no doubt it is a source of income, but we wouldn't say, well, son, that is a high admiration. That is a wonderful goal. You are going to reach the max of your potential going there. But we see this is kind of the same light that shepherding was seen. Now, amongst the Jews, it was... It was, it was significant because of their, their mode of religion and their mode of sacrifice and temple worship. It was a, a needed position, but you've got to realize under Roman captivity, under Babylonian captivity, even going all the way back to the days of Egypt, the shepherds were seen as insignificant. Why in the world would you pursue something? The Romans said we can make meat a whole lot cheaper by raising pigs and the Egyptians had their own thing and the Persians had their own meat. What we don't have have any need for shepherds. It seems outdated. It seems too expensive. Why don't you just get with the times and get with the contemporary movement and, and do like we do? Can I just stop and say thanks be unto God that there are some shepherds who have yet to sell out to contemporary things, to sell out to easier ways, to sell out to this newfangled way, but rather they said, you know what? Yes, you can have your hogs and yes, you can have that, but I'm going to stay with the sheep. We see these shepherds were committed. Preacher, how do you know that? Well, it says so in verse number eight. It says right there, and they were committed. Don't you see it? <laughs> it said, and they were in the same country. I, I could just, I mean, these fellows were human. I, I could see them out there. He said, tell them, one day I'm going to get out of this country. One day I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to be known as the shepherd of shepherds. I'm going to leave out a little Bethlehem I'm going to get me one of them fields over there by Jerusalem where the, the movers and the shakers are. I, I'm, I'm going to get some recognition, but the Bible said, come to Luke chapter number two, all their, they were still in the same country. They were still in the same place that they had always been. But they were, I, these men, I don't think they were there because they, they couldn't find anywhere else to go. I think they were there because they didn't want to go anywhere else. For some reason... For some purpose, unbeknownst to them, they would get up day in and day out and spend that time with their sheep. And I, I can see, why don't you go get you a real job? Why don't you move up the, 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 the society ladder? Why don't, you, why don't you do better for yourself and leave those little sheep behind? Matter of fact, right before David walked in with Goliath, what did not his brother say? Hey, where are your little sheep at? Who'd you leave them with? But we see here, here are some shepherds right here and they, they, they are still in the same place they've always been. The Bible said in verse number eight, they were abiding. 
Look at verse number eight. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field. In essence, there was the possibility to leave. There was the opportunity to leave. There was even the ability to leave. And yet they found themselves in the same field with the same sheep doing what they've always done. They were abiding, abiding in the field. It's, it's interesting. You look that word up in our English language. It's a, a phrase, but in the Greek, it's all one word. That phrase, abiding in the field, it literally means to live in the field. And here's what I found interesting. It didn't just say in the field. It had a comma. It said even at night. <laughs> in essence, when it got dark, when it got discouraging, when it got just dangerous, here are the shepherds saying, for some odd reason, I'm here and I'm not going to leave until the Lord is done with me. It's just something, it wasn't just something they did, it was who they are. Even the most dangerous and difficult times, they said, I'm a shepherd, so I must be with the sheep. John 15, 4, Jesus said, abide in me, and I with you. Let me ask you this one. We know Jesus is always with us. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. But let me ask you, are you abiding with him? Is your Christianity just a part of who you are? Is it, is it just a, a, a certain pie, a piece of the pie in your life, or is it who you are? Is it your, is it your identity? In essence, I'm going to abide with Christ because I am a Christian. So they were abiding. But notice this, the Bible said in verse 8, they were also keeping. They were abiding and keeping. Now notice the, the verbiage there. It didn't say they had abided and they had kept. But the, in essence, when we open up to Luke chapter number 2, in essence, what Luke is trying to get us to realize as this, the camera focuses on them, they didn't see the camera turn to them and say, oh, hurry up, get back in the field. They'd always been there. That's what they'd been doing. That word keep means to guard. It means to keep an eye on. In essence, a shepherd could have sheep without actually shepherding them. But a process of the shepherding uh, lifestyle is to, on purpose, keep an eye on them, to watch them, to look over them. Luke eleven twenty eight 28 said, but he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. In essence, this morning, I don't know how many services you've sat in in your Christian life. I don't know how many messages you've heard preached, and it's not the preacher. I've heard more than anybody else in here. That's wonderful, but how many have you kept? How many have you put action behind what the preacher said? How many have you said, you know what, that's not just good to hear, that's good to do. It'd be the same as if a shepherd said, listen, I got sheep and they're the best sheep ever, but I, I don't know their names. I don't know where they are. I don't, I don't know what they're doing. You would say, that's a terrible shepherd. He's not keeping his flock. And can I say the same thing is true in our Christian life? When we hear sermon after sermon, we read Bible chapter after Bible chapter and we hear it, it goes in and right back out and there's no keeping of it. There's no putting action Behind it. Maybe you've been doing a lot of hearing lately, but how's your keeping being lately? Let me ask you, if you were to, if you looked at your, your keeping, your abiding, could you say you've been a committed Christian lately? Oh, preacher, I'm saved by the, that's wonderful, but are you committed? Are you committed to the Lord? Some, thing you'll, uh, some things you'll only be able to see if you keep and abide during the dark times, during the difficult times. Could you imagine being that one shepherd who that night said, you know what, I'm done with this. 
quit. You can have my sheep. I don't want them no more. And they leave behind right before the angel of the Lord comes. Missed it by one moment because you said, you know what? It's not worth being committed no more. Can I say where at some point in your Christian life, you will face the temptation to leave. And it's going to be more than once. It's going to be multiple times. Satan's going to come in, lie to you, tell you how God doesn't care about you no more. God's through with you. God's done with you. God has given up on you. You might as well quit because God's quit on you. Can I say he's a father of lies? He's never told the truth. So don't listen to him. Rather, get in the word of God and say, you know what, Lord, it's difficult. It's hard. It's discouraged. I'm reading a book about a man named Don Sisk. He's a missionary. was a missionary to Japan. He left, for, he left America back in the 60s to go to Japan at $500 a month. That's all the support he had. $500 a month, he left America with a family of two sons and a wife, went to Japan to start a church. He said he knew God was there, and he said, he said now I wish that someone would have sat me down and said, son, you need more than $500 a month to survive over there. He said, but I thought I had enough, so I went. He said, I thought for sure God was going to do something wonderful. So he got over there and he was just so discouraged. Different culture, different people, different language. And he was struggling. He said, he said, I, he said I, I, was, I was very good at the English language. And he said he was gifted in preaching. But now he goes into a country where he doesn't know the language. He's trying to learn Japanese and he's communicating like a four-year-old. He said it was so discouraging. He said he finally got his first opportunity to preach in Japanese. He had studied the language and studied the language. He got done. He said it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. He said one of the Japanese men in the church stood up and prayed and said, Lord, thank you for, doctor, or for Brother Sis coming, but could you please help him preach better? He said he was sincere. He said, I was discouraged. He said, in the middle of that discouragement, I got a phone call from the church. I used to be on staff. He was an associate pastor there. He said, my former pastor called me and said, Brother Don, we, we tried to get your replacement. We can't find anybody. The church has voted and we are willing to pay your expenses to come back to America and to triple the amount of your daily or your, your, your income once you get back. Don said that was so hard. He said, because I was in the middle of such discouragement and depression. He said, I knew God had brought me to Japan. He said, but it didn't seem like it was making any kind of sense. He said, I prayed about it. He said, God didn't give me no peace to go back to America. So I called, he said, I called back my pastor and said, listen, I, I thank you for the opportunity, but I can't come back. God's called me here. And it wasn't a few months after that he ran into a Japanese man who had just come back from the United States who knew perfect English, was saved by the grace of God and said, I will be your translator. And God used that man to build two wonderful churches in Japan that are still there today. All because he said, you know what? I'm going to stick in the field. And God has placed me in. I'm going to abide I'm going to keep, I'm going to be committed. Not only were these shepherds committed, but notice this, these shepherds were curious. These shepherds were curious. You ever experienced a once-in-a-lifetime moment but didn't realize it until it happened? <laughs> you didn't plan for it. I mean, you didn't get up in the morning and say, you know what, today is going to change my life. Today I'm going to experience something that I'm never going to forget. My wife is wonderful at taking pictures and remembering to take pictures. I, on the other hand, not. I'll forget that I have a phone in my pocket that is capable of taking pictures. 
<laughs> we'll go and do something, spend some time with the family, have a wonderful, you know, one of those once in a lifetime moments or, or a wonderful experience. And the only picture that I have is of the food that I ate. <laughs> or right before we left, we, we took a selfie in the car. And I'll forget to take pictures. I don't think these shepherds were preparing that night for the experience that they were going to have. I don't think they said, you know what? I don't think they were talking. I've been reading my Bible. I mean, he's coming tonight. I know it. <laughs> Sounds like some people nowadays, doesn't it? I've <laughs> been reading my Bible. The Lord's coming back next week. Okay. <laughs> you say so. But notice here, these shepherds hadn't planned this evening of surprise. They were just expecting a night like regular. Hopefully, don't, hopefully I ain't got to fight off no wolves tonight. Hopefully my sheep go to sleep and I can get some sleep as well. Verse number nine, they were initially scared. Look at verse number nine. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were what? Sore afraid. You ever been sore afraid? <laughs> I didn't know what that word meant, so I looked it up. The word sore, the Greek word is megos. It's where we get our word mega. You could say they were mega afraid. They were mega scared. You ever been mega scared? <laughs> Amen. I've been there. But they were initially scared. They were, they were ready for a wolf. I mean, they, they, they had prepared for this. They knew how to take off a wolf and take on animals and, and predators. But there was nothing in the shepherd handbook of what to do when an angel shows up. They were sore afraid. All they, I'm pretty sure they'd seen the angel and all they could remember back when they was in Sunday school and the teachers told them about Sodom and Gomorrah. And when the angels came in judgment, they thought, it starts with us. <laughs> They're taking us out. We're done. I knew I should have paid more attention in church. They were initially scared. But notice verse number 10 11, they were instantly calmed. Verse number 10, and the angel said unto them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings. I don't have no bad news to tell you tonight. Of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. The angels brought some good news. Jesus is here. I couldn't help but to think about my salvation experience and the salvation experience of untold hundreds, if not thousands of people. There was a moment in your life where fear gripped you. You realized you were a sinner. You realized you had transgressed a holy God. And because of that reality, you knew that if you were to die right then and there, you would bust hell wide open. And you knew there was nothing you could do about it by yourself. And thankfully, somebody stepped in and said, don't worry, Jesus is here. And he can save you. And that instant news, that good news in that moment absolutely changed everything. You went from fear to peace. Notice verse number 12, they were given a promise. And this shall be a sign unto you. <laughs> Isn't this interesting? God doesn't go to Jerusalem and find King Herod. He doesn't go to the religious elite in the temples, the scribes and the Pharisees. He goes to a little shepherd that most people don't care about, aren't concerned with and say, listen, the very God of heaven is willing to give you a sign. He doesn't give the sign to Herod. Herod doesn't find out until Jesus is already born that he had been born. 
But he comes to these little shepherds and said, here's a sign to you. Here, I've come that your faith might be cemented. It might be concreted. It might be established and stabilized. Can I say I'm so thankful for my Bible because my Bible, for somebody little like me, who most people don't know about, most people don't care about, the very God of heaven said, I'm gonna give you a book full of promises to establish you and help you. They were given a promise. Here's where you'll find him. And we found out all of his promises are true. He'll always do what he says he'll do. Not only were they given a promise, they were willing to investigate. Here's their curiosity. Look at verse number 15. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one unto another, hey, this is good enough. We, we, we got to hear from angels. This must be good enough. We don't have to go any further. No, they said, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known. They didn't even know how to describe it. <laughs> this thing that the Lord has done, we're not sure exactly what all this means, but let's go see it. Let's go see it for ourselves. Let's go put eyes on it. Let, let's, go, let's go see exactly what the Lord has, they were willing to investigate. They found out when you seek and search into God's word, it'll always lead to the Lord Jesus Christ. This book was written not so you and I could figure out how to be good at life. It was written that we could figure out how good Jesus is. I don't care whether you start from Genesis to Revelation, you hang out long enough, you gonna find Jesus in there somewhere. And we see that they were willing to investigate and they didn't just settle for what they heard. They said, let's go see. Let's go see if it's true. And here's the thing. We live in a culture and I don't know why it's this way sometimes in church. We feel like we're not allowed to ask questions. We feel like we're not allowed to search. We're not allowed to investigate. Be quiet, sit still, and don't do anything. That's how most people live their Christian life where God is saying, hey, come, seek me and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Come looking for me. I will not hide myself from thee. I will reveal myself to you if you'll just start looking. Curiosity might have killed the cat, but curiosity cemented the faith of these shepherds. They began to investigate, <laughs> left the sheep behind. We'll be back. We gotta go see what Jesus, what, what God's doing around here. And they go to Bethlehem, <laughs> and where do they find Shepherds. Or what do they find? They find Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the babe lying in a manger, verse number 16. They were willing to, let me ask you, how curious are you about your Bible? How curious are you about God's word and God's truth and what promises it has for you in there? Hell, preacher, I'm just gonna wait for you to preach it to me. I'm just gonna wait for you to tell it to me. I'm gonna try my dead level best, but can I say this is a personal book? <laughs> And I would encourage any Christian to just sit down, plop down somewhere, open up the word of God and say, all right, Lord, here I am. Help me. Guide me and direct me. Give me your word. And I guarantee you, you hang out in this book long enough, you'll see some things and learn some things that you'll never forget. Are you just willing to take someone else's word or are you going to investigate for yourself? These shepherds were curious. They were committed. But look at number three this morning. These shepherds were changed. These shepherds were changed. Verse 16, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. You would think that seeing and meeting God in the flesh would have changed these men. Don't worry, it did. It completely and totally changed them. Here's the interesting thing. They met him one time. 
They seen him one time in the stable outside of Bethlehem and they never had to go back to him in that sense. They never had to have this same experience over and over again. They met him one time and it lasted them all of their life and really it probably lasted them all of eternity. And the same is true for you. I'm glad this morning, the moment that I placed my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, April 3rd, 2015, I got saved by the grace of God and I haven't had to be saved again ever since. And when he did it the first time, he did it for all time. And I'm thankful for that this morning. They met him one time, they never had to go find him again. It's amazing how meeting the Lord one time can actually change everything. Notice this, it changed their direction. Verse number 15, the Bible said that they, they, they looked at each other and said, let, let, let's go see what's made known unto us. What he told us, it's, it's about us, me, us. Well, we gotta go figure this out. Verse number 17, look what they did. The Bible said when they had seen it, they made known abroad. What had started off as a personal search now has turned into a proclaiming truth. Their ministry changed from me to them, to us, to abroad. Let me ask you this more. Do you have a me ministry or do you have an abroad ministry? They changed the direction. All this changed, changed the demeanor. Look at verse number 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen as it was told unto them. <laughs> I know I sent this out in devotion a few weeks ago. But I couldn't help but think, I wonder what those sheep were talking like when those shepherds came back. The Bible said they returned where, where they were from, back out into the fields and where they had been keeping and abiding. They returned back praising and glorifying God. I could, them sheep, I mean, I understand they weren't Dr. Doolittle. But maybe those sheep said, what happened to them? I mean, what in the world's going on? Why is he smiling so much? What's he so happy about? Don't he know there's wolves out there? Don't he know that there's dangerous animals out there? Why is he so happy? What, what changed in him? Well, he had seen the Lord. He comes back and they're over there praising and glorifying God. I could hear one of those sheep. I've heard him use the Lord's name before. It wasn't like that last time. Now here he is, he's praising God. What is, what, what's so different about them? Well, they'd been changed. They had seen Jesus. They had been to the Lord and the Lord changed them. But notice, here's what they praised him for. They praised him for what they heard. It says right there, for all the things they had heard. Well, how many glad you've heard the word of God in your life? Well, we've got plenty to praise for what we've heard. Good stories worth sharing. They also praised him for what they saw, the examples in the experience that they had just had. And can I say this morning, you and I have the same things to be thankful for, to praise God for what we've heard and what we've experienced. When I talk about grace and how it still amazes me, I'm not saying that because somebody told me to say that. I'm saying that because I've experienced it. When I preach about mercy, it's not something I read about in a book. It's something that I've experienced in my life. When I, when I, when I, when I preach about the protection of God and God orchestrating and God showing himself faithful and sovereign over all things, it's not something I picked up in a dictionary somewhere. It's something that I've seen. I've got stories in my life that I've experienced and I've been an eyewitness to, to the very hand of God moving and working in my life. I've got much to praise him for this morning. It changed the direction. It changed their demeanor. They praised him for what they heard. They praised him for what they saw. Let me ask you this morning, and we'll be done. How evident is the change that Christ made in you? Do they see it on the job site? Do your children see it at home? Does your family see it when you get together? They can't put their finger on it. But the last time they seen you, he wasn't acting like that. 
He wasn't talking like that. He wasn't carrying on like that. There's something different about you. Can I say when that atmosphere produces in your life, the best thing you and I can do is learn to praise God, to give God the glory for what he's done in our life. Because reality is we ain't done nothing. We haven't approved our life any. We haven't made any wonderful decisions that, that orchestrated and, 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 and brought the grace of God into our life because we earned it. It is God simply pouring out his favor in our life. And so when people see the difference in us, they're not really seeing a difference in you. They're seeing Christ in you, which is the difference. So please make sure to give him the glory and the praise when it's noticed. Notice the shepherds were changed. They were curious and they were committed. Let me ask you, are there any of these characteristics in your life today? They should be. And if they're not, why don't we ask the Lord to help us have those in our life today? Lord, help me to be committed. Help me to be curious when it comes to the Bible. To never lose the love of learning when it comes to the word of God. Lord, help me to live a changed life where people can notice the difference you've made in my life. Let's stay in this morning, every head bowed, every eye.